Hope you brought your Bible. It's time to get it. And um, you'll fo- you can follow me as I read our text this morning out of Hebrews 13. We should, Lord willing, be finished with the book of Hebrews next Sunday. So uh, it's big for me at least. Um, but three quick things. First of all, the systematic theology class that is available to you, um, you um, uh, it had two spots, two open spots um, it, last week or Thursday. So if you're interested in wading into some fairly deep theological waters, you'll need to get a um, uh, call and get your spot reserved for you. So um, uh, that's systematics. Secondly, for those of you who are already planning uh, your Christmas Eve, let me tell you, this year's Christmas Eve is going to be a bit different. Our schedule is going to be different here than it normally is. And let me tell you why. Christmas Eve, of course, lands on a Sunday. We felt, or we concluded, rightly or wrongly, that because people had already been here on Sunday morning, they're thinking, well, they're not going to go back on at that night. So we've reduced it to one service, one communion service on Christmas Eve this year. We'll go back to two next year. But just this year, we'll have one service at 5 o'clock. Uh, one service, uh, Christmas Eve, this, um, uh, and I guess, what is that, three weeks from now? Yeah, so I just want you to have that information to make your plans. And then finally, guys, uh, um, that screen that you saw about a singles Bible study being started here, indeed it is, and I'm all excited about it, Um, but I don't know whether you noticed, on the screen, it will take place, the Bible study itself will take place at the gym, G-E-M, you know what that is? (laughs) I, I just wondered if you knew that your church has rented some space off campus, did you know that? Did you know that there is um, a rental piece of property that we have over by the Target on Spotswood? You know where that is? You know where that is. Uh, we've rented some space there, and the college ministry and the singles ministry and that Christmas party will, be, will take place at that property, not here at the church. So I just um, wanted to make that clarification. We're looking forward to um, a millennial singles, we're calling it, 22 to 35 uh, if you're single or know somebody that's interested, we'll have a party on the 19th, and then we'll start a Bible study on the 9th of January, Lord willing. Now, you take your copies of God's Word and follow as I read um, from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. It reads like this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby... Some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in high honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. One of the things that I found when um, trying to prepare for this passage is that um, 
Several of the commentaries, or a few of the commentaries, and even some sermon series, do not even include chapter 13 in their treatment. They stop at the end of chapter 12, and um, I found that odd, and I object. And let me tell you why I object. Because what you find in chapter 13 is something that you find throughout the New Testament, especially in the letters of Paul. In fact, there are a lot of folks who would suggest that this must have been written by Paul because the methodology that is followed is so Pauline. Now, here's the, method, the methodology that I'm referring to. Um, you find it in Ephesians, you find it in Galatians, you find it in Romans, all written by Paul, and you find it here. We have just studied 12 chapters of rich doctrinal presentation of the superiority of Jesus Christ. In which, by the way, you find not one moral injunction ever issued in those 12 chapters. Is that not something? Um, You get a lot of general calls to holy living, but you never get a, a, a specific moral injunction in all of the 12 chapters. You get 12 chapters of a description of the superiority of Christ. And then... On the heels of that, you come to chapter 13, and he then issues some um, moral um, injunctions or calls to moral living, but only in that order. After having dealt with who Christ is and what he's done, then he gives you a call to Christian duty. I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the book of Hebrews would be incomplete without chapter 13. Now, so what, we're, what you're finding in chapter 13 is that having come to a, um, a knowledge of Jesus Christ and having seen his beauty in all that he is, um, he then calls us to live a certain way, and then he gives you four specifics, okay? That's what you see here. Um, Four specific lifestyle duties that he mentions in these six verses, but only after having completed 12 chapters of describing for you the superiority of Christ. So, having seen the beauty of Christ, for 12 chapters, he then says, okay, he who knows this Christ follows this Christ. And he follows him, at least in part, in these four ways. There's more than these four. But here are four specifics that he mentions that are to be true of people who know this Christ and as a result inevitably follow him okay so following him would look like what he gives you four things the first one that he mentions in verse one is that we are to be characterized by brotherly love (laughs) now that that has a real nice king james ring to it doesn't but but guys um people who know this christ also love other people who know this christ I mean, do I, do I have to prove that to you? I mean, I could. 
John 13, a uh, new commandment that I give unto you that, uh, that you love one another. But it, it, it really, I, I really shouldn't have to prove that. I, 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 I love this God, but I hate his people? That, that just doesn't make a lick of sense. Guys, um, notice that it doesn't say create love or maintain love or, or to manufacture love. It simply says continue. Don't spoil something that already exists. You know, folks, you would think that that kind of mutual affection for one another would happen spontaneously. But it doesn't, does it? Um, it, it, it doesn't seem that that kind of thing is native to the, um, to the fallen human heart. And so he enjoins us to love each other. Guys, um, the big obstacle, of course, in our, our doing this, the big obstacle to loving somebody else is that I love myself. It always gets in the way of me loving somebody else. But that's the first specific that he mentions about people who belong to the Savior. I want you to notice the second one. He mentions marriage. And specifically, the marriage bed. <laughs> you know, again, guys, one would think that some, that, that's this sexual fidelity would be a given among us. But it isn't, is it? You know, we don't have time to do this today, but maybe this afternoon, if you want to take a look at the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs, um, it's like the first seven chapters. Uh, you can... Um, Find all you want, but I, I just want to read you two verses um, that are included in the book of, this is in Proverbs 6. Listen to this. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. How about this one? He who commits adultery lacks sense. And he who does it destroys himself. Gang, this is not, this is not trivial. L- look at your Bibles. L- look, at, look at verse 4. For God will judge. Did you hear that? Gang, look at me. This is no trivial matter. Sexual fidelity is to be a mark of people who follow this Christ. It it doesn't take any description on my part to tell you what he means. 
only standard allowable among us when it comes to our marriages is fidelity. You know, I find myself, particularly when I'm speaking to a, a somewhat unknown, some, a, a woman that I don't know well, and this subject comes up, I, it, I find myself having to say, well, I, I just want you to know that I have, I, I have been faithful to my wife for 47 years. Because that's not really... Because there's so many evangelical pastors who have not been faithful to their wives. And so it's almost assumed that we all are unfaithful. Gang! Look at it! Do you think that God is issuing some kind of idle threat? He's not. And those who go into her are destroying themselves. Here's the third specific that's mentioned in this text. A people who are following this Christ. Um, no covetousness. Now, I know that if you've got the ESV, it says um, that you will not be a lover of money, and the Greek is a lover of silver. But the King James and the New King James use the word covetousness, and we know what that word means. One of the things that's not to characterize us is that we're covetous. And that's the sin that nobody wants to um, confess. I said Wednesday night, people would rather come into my office and tell me that they're adulterers than tell me that they're covetous. Why is that? Because it's so rare? Surely you don't believe that. It's because it can be hidden. Uh, People don't see that. (laughs) But notice in the text what the sentence is. Um, Keep your life free from covetousness and be content. That's the fourth specific. But where where the third one is present, the fourth one doesn't exist. If I'm covetous, then there's no contentment. He, he joins those two things side by side. You see that. Um, guys, we're supposed to be people who are content. But how many of us are here are 100% happy? Gang, the standard mentioned here that is to be true of people who are lovers of this Christ is that there is to be a tranquility of soul and a composure of mind. Contentment. You know, guys, could I just pause to apply this real briefly? Gang, if this is the standard, do you really want to talk about what a good person you are? Now, compared to me, I bet a lot of you are really good people. There's only one flaw in that, that, that uh, mindset. I'm not the standard. This is the standard. And if this is the standard, 
then do you really want to talk about what a wonderful person you are? And, and not only that, I found this text years ago um, in Psalm 106. Listen to this. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked. But sent a wasting disease among them. To how many of you has that very thing happened? Oh, I've got to have this. I've got to have it. And he gives it to you. And along with it, he sends a wasting disease to the soul. Guys, we have to be very careful about what we want and how much we want it. Now, those are the four specifics. Brotherly love, marital fidelity, no covetousness, and contentment. Those are four specifics, four moral injunctions addressed to Christians who have come to recognize the beauty of this Savior. Now, all of that brings us to a promise. A promise that's contained in the text, which is the real antidote, the real remedy for our covetousness and our lack of contentment. Do you see it? It's in verse 5. Guys, what is it that when laid hold of will subdue our covetousness and promote contentment. Here it is. It's a promise from God who says to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is promising his presence, his provision, his help, his protection, he in essence is saying, I will be enough for you. So reason with me for a second. So if I'm discontent and covetous, it is because in large measure, I do not believe this promise. Okay. Um, I, I want to tell you a little bit about the promise because it is uh, it's full of import. Listen, guys. The promise is translated from nine Greek words into eight English words. In those nine, English, in those nine Greek words, there are five negatives. Five negatives in nine words. The English translation simply does not do it justice. 
it is in essence better translated something like this. I will never, no never, no never forsake you. I will never, ever, ever, ever forsake you. It is over the top, ladies and gentlemen. He is pounding us with the unconditionality of his love for his people. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you or leave you. Gang, there is a, there's a hymn that we sing, um, uh, How Firm a Foundation. And um, one of the stanzas uh, says this. That soul that all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never. He got that from here. Guys, there there are numerous places that we could go in the scriptures and I can show you similar statements, but none of them like this. None of them. You know, we talk about holiness, holy, 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 being raised to the third power, This is raised to the fifth power. This is a promise that is quintupled. I will never. No, never. No, never. Forsake my own. He is promising that he is enough. Others may leave us, He will not. When the money's gone, or in a time of temporary disgrace, or when people can get no more out of me, some will leave. For those of you who have tasted something like that, I have a promise for you. One that's quintupled. I will never. No, never. No, never. Forsake you. You know, as I, as I spend time in this text and others, but when I, when I came to this one, I, I thought a bit, not, not a whole lot, but a, at least some, about you dear people who have had someone say to you, I don't love you anymore. Or um, maybe even worse, I never loved you. What could be more wounding than to have somebody close to you say that to you? And so your spouse says it to you and then they leave and now you're divorced. For you I have a promise. Not from me. But from a God who has gone out of his way 
to quintuple the assurances to you. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you. Do you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Most of you do. You know, um, he uh, had an affair with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. David, the psalmist, the king of Israel, the shepherd boy, the slayer of Goliath. You know, he had, a, he had an affair with Bathsheba. You knew that Bathsheba had a husband, didn't you? His name was Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. And so David took Uriah the Hittite and had him put on the front lines at the heat of the battle and then told his general to take the army and leave him there so that he could die. Do you know why? Because David wanted his wife. So, um, friends may desert me. Even spouses might desert me. But God has said, I will never, no, never. No, never. Forsake you. My friend, if you know that you have sinned like that or been sinned against like that, I don't know where to take you if I don't take you here. You know, folks, were God not a God of grace, he would have left us long ago. But instead of getting what we've earned, he makes us a promise like this. For those in whom I have such a large investment, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you. You know, guys, that is a promise that only God can make. I I can't make that promise. A friend can't make that promise. A husband, a wife can't make that promise. A church member, a friend, they can't make that promise. I can't make it because I'm as broken as you are. But I have a God. A God who guarantees that we will, that he will never forsake us, even though that's what I deserve. A God who has promised that he will be enough when everything and everyone else has left, he will not. Gang, I, um, I have probably belabored that point a bit, but I have belabored it for this reason. Look again at the text with me. You see, these six verses are an appeal to a certain lifestyle. They are an appeal, or or this appeal that you find here, for this specific behavior is rooted in this promise. 
knowing that I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you, live like this. Planning some kind of marital fling, are you? Some kind of marital infidelity? How could you possibly consider such a thing when this God has made this commitment to his people? All of this lifestyle, all of this behavior, all of this moral injunction is rooted in the promise. It's not isolated moralism. All right, you people. I want you to... And the, and the lash of the law is whipped over your heads. No. No, ladies and gentlemen. That is not Christianity. That is moralism. Christianity appeals to you like this. It calls you to duty. Yes. It calls you to duty by first spending 12 chapters describing the beauty and the excellencies and the superiority of Christ. And then on the other side, it reminds you... I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake you. Even though you have a moral blowout. And in that time of temporary disgrace, even then, I will never, no, never. No, never forsake you. Gang, um, I want you to notice also in this promise there's no ifs. It doesn't say, if you live this way, I will never know. It doesn't say that. There's no conditions attached. Um, he says, in essence, because you are mine, I'll never forsake you. But you see, because I belong to a God like that, then I want to live like this. Have an affair? Surely you jest. I wouldn't dream of doing something like that to the God who has made this commitment to me. We live differently because we belong to this God. We don't live this way so that I can one day, hopefully, perhaps belong to this God. That's backwards. I belong to this God. And because he has gone to the extremes to which he has gone, to save someone as undeserving as I and then promises to me that even in my moral blowouts he will not desert me 
I say to him, now how is it that you wanted me to live? Because that's the way I want to live. In light of the beauty of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, we as Christians have a betrayed Savior that never betrays. We have a deserted Savior that never deserts. We have a forsaken Savior that never forsakes. And in light of the beauty of that Savior, we who belong to him we want to live like this a God that is promised I will never no never no never not ever Thank you. Our Father, might the beauty of those promises find their way to the basement of our souls. Might this be the foundation on which we plan out our lives the great beauty of Christ and Him crucified and the promises made to us on His behalf for His people. Oh God, um, if you've brought people here this morning who have some other notion that the way to become a son or a daughter of God is to obey the Ten Commandments, would you cause them to see just how backwards that is? Might they see in this text that it is only after we have had 12 chapters of a discussion of Christ's superiority that we are called to a Christian duty? Father, might these injunctions, along with numerous others, be true of us as individuals and as a church. Might this place be known, not so much for their ethics, but for their enjoyment of a God who has made, has moved heaven and earth to save people as undeserving as we are. To you, O oh God, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service of worship. And we do it, of course, in Jesus' name.